Hey there, Jets fans. Uh, thanks for coming back and listening to us. We are here today with Kyle Wellwood, former Winnipeg Jets player, as well as playing for uh, Toronto, Vancouver. Uh, uh, missing one, one more in there. Oh, I had it written down. But uh, Kyle, thanks so much for, for joining us to do this. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's uh, our pleasure for sure. Um, so uh, first, I want to start off talking to you about concussions. Uh, this is a topic we've never tackled uh, on the podcast before. But uh, I guess uh, since you've retired, you've you've had some uh, some dealings with uh, concussion research and whatnot. So I was wondering if you could kind of elaborate uh, what what your your history there has been with uh, head check. Yeah, so I. Um got into, went to BCIT, got into computer systems, financial planning, and I got into investing. And I was at a uh, conference where they sort of pitched the newest health tech uh, in BC, and that's sort of what we're known for in British Columbia um, in the investing space is a lot of health technology companies. And one of the companies called HeadCheck was pitching, and they uh, had pitched a headband that helped with the balance portion of the test using sensors. And I got this talking on the sidelines with uh, the founders, and uh, we started talking concussions and what's going on right now. And I told them uh, basically that, you know, there's there's nothing happening and that, uh, you know, I'd be happy to work with them to create a product where – you're able to test the athletes on the sideline and and let the administrators know and the commissioners know that it is happening and that there's somebody monitoring on the sidelines. So that's what we rolled out, and um, we've grown to, uh, I think, about 10,000 athletes now we monitor. So oh, wow. uh, we've had a strong growth in the last uh, Two, two and a, two years or so since I joined, and uh, you know we're in the Manitoba Junior Hockey League, uh, so uh, people in Manitoba can look out for us there and know that their junior kids are going to be monitored and have somebody on the sideline checking for brain injuries. So, uh, do you guys actually cover stuff for l- lots of different sports, or is it primarily uh, real-time tracking with sports that have helmets, like is there sensors and helmets, or is it more so testing after uh, what uh, you per- perceive might be a concussion, so you have people come off and do testing? Um, yeah, that's that's exactly it. Has, it doesn't matter if there's a helmet or not. We do um, rugby, speed skating, uh, lacrosse, uh, hockey, of course, um, any sport. Um, we even have uh, one college that for some reason asked their golf team to be tested. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter the sport. Um, we just make sure that whoever is on the sideline, whether it's uh, a athletic therapist, a, uh, an equipment trainer, or whoever's the one in charge of seeing uh, and pulling somebody out of the game if they they've, may have sustained a head injury, um, that they know how to log the information if they're an equipment trainer and pull them out of the play and not let them return until they have a doctor's note. Or if they're athletic therapists, they, we give them a set of tools where they can do a lot more thorough testing and, and give uh, better information to, you know, the physician or doctor that they see after. So it's a complex uh, problem, and, you know, we're pounding away at the solutions. So for you guys, would you say that you're sort of on the edge of 
educating people about concussions because it's it's really come to the forefront in the last uh, decade or, or less it seems and so is there still a lot of resistance to people caring about this or taking it serious and you end up being educators as well or do you feel like there's quite quite a few people on board with uh, this and people actually realize uh, the potential risk yeah i think it's in just two years i think the amount of education that people have has grown uh, from, you know, 10 to 20 percent of people we talk to to 70 or 80 percent. And, and that doesn't come from us at all. It comes from, uh, you know, people paying more attention to what happens in the NHL. Uh, there's a lot of foundations and, and the government of Canada and Ontario's got a, you know, Rowan's Law. So there's a lot of uh, instances where people are educating people on the dangers of sustaining uh, brain injuries uh, in sports. So for you, you mentioned how you got into the, the investing side after your, your playing days were over. Uh, you yourself, you never um, sustained any kind of concussion during your playing days, right? No, or, or not that you know. You know it's hard to say. <laughs> you know, the, it's, concussions are very tricky. Um, certainly, I had all the symptoms that uh, would lead a doctor to say that I had a concussion, but um, I never was knocked out or. Uh, you know, I had yeah. one of those totally severe ones that, uh, you know, that make the highlight reel. So I've certainly been hit that way and, and felt like it, but, uh, you know, I never uh, sought treatment. Right. Yeah, and, and I think during your playing days, probably seeking treatment, most people just say you got your bell rung and sort of get back out there when you can, right, is a, probably a, a different time than it is now just talking about people being a little bit more educated, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. Because I was curious if if there was a bit of a passion for the the understanding the injury and and diagnosing it because of maybe your own experience or uh, even some of your teammates and friends that maybe have gone through some stuff. I'm sure you've seen people maybe have it worse than yourself. So I, I was curious about your your interest be, behind yeah. it as well. Yeah, no, I thought I thought that the founders had uh, were were capable of uh, providing. A solution that would be valuable to the public and the community at large and I had some knowledge of the inner workings of what happens and and uh, what 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 actually goes on behind the scenes and if people are monitored or not and and how much time there is to check a player and what the likelihood is of them coming off if if there isn't a tool uh, you know and, and they know they're being monitored or not so it's a complex problem um, that I thought needed uh, more solutions and were just one part of it uh, in having uh, tools to monitor on the sideline that there's somebody watching for it. Yeah. You know? Is there, uh, do you guys have any plans to uh, maybe chip helmets and, and things like that to understand maybe the impact that people had that are causing the nature of the concussions and the symptoms, like where they get hit on a helmet, for obviously for helmeted sports, um, to do that. Is there is there plans to do that, or are you familiar with people already doing stuff like that, where you can draw some data and draw some uh, correlation between what you're seeing for the results of uh, the kind of concussions that they have to the the uh, the velocity of an impact to where they get hit on the head, that sort of stuff. Do you like combine combine information with uh, with other uh, resources out there, I guess, that may be doing things like that. No, we we haven't we haven't um, gone in that direction. I'm not saying that we ever will, but uh, there just isn't an interest on our part right yet. Uh, since you know, it's such a developing science uh, in a lot of ways, that we just try to focus on 
what we want to do best is provide sideline tools for uh, anybody who's going to be on the sideline and is in charge of seeing if somebody has a brain injury and making sure that they don't return to the games without, uh, you know, following the protocol that generally says that they should visit a doctor and get cleared before they come back. Right. So that's uh, our big feature is, is we provide live reporting to commissioners and administrators so that they know that each and every game that they have, somebody uh, has uh, the ability to do that and that they're monitoring and they can see the how many tests have been performed, how many concussions they've had. And if there's one team that doesn't have any tests or doesn't have any concussions, uh, they can sort of go back and ask them questions like, uh, have you not had concussions because nobody's hit their head? Is that why you haven't done any tests? Or have you just decided to not follow, not use these tools? You know, they you can sort of ask for an explanation now, uh, where, where before you just had an assumption that everybody was doing the right things. Right. So uh, for those out there that maybe – uh, think that there might be a concussion issue, obviously not using an app, but just to have a, a baseline understanding of concussions. Uh, what would be maybe the recommended thing, obviously seeing the doctor, like you mentioned, but what are some of the the um, things that people can do if they feel like they've sustained a concussion? What are the typical ways of remedying that and uh, and uh, getting back to normal? Well, it, it, it depends if uh, you, you want to return to work or if you're looking to return to play, they call it, where you're doing a high intensity activity where uh, you sort of have different stages of getting back to that level. And you sort of just, I would go to any of the government of Canada parachute or even the, you know, the, the sporting group of Manitoba uh, has excellent resources where um, they, they sort of update it all the time and tell you what's the best way to return to, to play or sport because there's not that much a doctor can help you with uh, right now except for sort of leading you towards recovery by managing your rest and, and exercise and sleep and things like that and how much screen time and other things. So, it, you know, we don't uh, – I specifically don't do any – treatment or comment on any yeah. <laughs> any treatment <laughs> i can't suggest any treatments for anybody right. so uh you know i would i would say talk to your doctor and look at the the positive resources that are out there and we even have some on our website and and things like that but uh you know you, you really need to speak to doctors right okay well we're going to move over to some hockey stuff but just for the concussion stuff and, and specifically the the company that you're dealing with uh head check um where can people find you guys and the app and and all that stuff related to uh what you're actually doing now yeah they can go to headcheckhealth.ca or .com one of the two and uh just find us there or just search head check health and uh you know we're we're active in manitoba already so uh we shouldn't be too easy too difficult to find for listeners in manitoba right on okay well thank you for sharing about the concussions uh yeah i want to move into a little bit of the hockey stuff obviously being a former former jet that's a kind of a highlight for a lot of people that'll be listening to this podcast to get to hear maybe you know some of your takes on what it was like to be part of the jets when they came back so i think i'll just kind of start there you were here the very first year the Jets were, were back. What was that like to, to come to, to Winnipeg? I know that you'd played some other places before, but uh, just to be part of that initial thing, that seems like probably pretty special. 
It was, and I think because I'd played in Canada and I had played on teams that also didn't make the playoffs, yeah. <laughs> to get the amount of fan support that we had throughout the season and you know not be a contending team for the Stanley Cup and the fans knowing that, uh, they were incredible. You know, every game was loud. Uh, they knew all the players names and I knew they had the, the I remember the GST line and you know they really embraced uh, uh, all the players who were playing and uh, you know it was certainly a fun year yeah the, was it like a, a, a no-brainer when you got uh, the chance to play with Winnipeg or did you have opportunity to go other places and you're like no no I this seems like it'd be something special so you wanted to to come here or, or what was that process like for you in in, in deciding well I, I had uh, gone into free agency. I was in San Jose the year before we made it to the conference finals and I was hoping to re-sign there um, but I was never offered a contract and then uh, I think free agency started and they offered uh, a tryout deal in San Jose and since I'd already played there uh, I didn't quite know what to think about the tryout deal even so I signed it and you know, you're. It's, it's difficult to try out for a team that's already seen you play for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> so when Winnipeg called and uh, said that uh, they're looking for a, a, a forward uh, that you know could play power play and, and so forth, um, I sort of jumped at the opportunity and asked San Jose to, uh, you know, release me from my tryout contract, and they did. So I became a Jet. Very cool, yeah, and we're definitely happy to have you. So you played here the the first uh, full season with the Jets, and then the next year was a lockout season, and that was a bit of an abridged season. You were here after that. Uh, after you, you you left the after that season, uh, is, that's when you retired and kind of moved into this stuff. Or what did what did you do right after that? After your time in yes. Winnipeg? Yeah, so I think uh, after a couple years in Winnipeg, um, you know, we I had a young son, and I had traveled around a lot. Uh, playing hockey and not really getting uh, steady contracts, steady work, you'd call it. And right. <laughs> I think I just was hoping to settle down and uh, I was ready to retire. So, um, you know, I gave it another shot with the Jets for another year, but it was a lockout year. And I think I was already uh, ready to retire right. at that point and <laughs> just uh, moved to moved to BC with my wife and, you know, now uh, moved on to other things. Right. Yeah, I guess those those lockout years probably make it a bit difficult for people that are kind of later on in their careers to, you know, just get back in it full swing after after missing kind of so much time, right? Yeah, yeah, I think it's I think it's both. I think organizations also take the opportunity to uh evaluate younger players for the, the lockout and sort of get excited about a new future and older players get more time with their families and maybe decide that that's a bit of a priority as well. So, uh, you know, I think it's both sides that just kind of stayed apart from uh, the, the, I guess, the, the goals of just doing hockey, you know. Right. Now, you, you consider yourself a, a Canucks alumni, as, but you are alumni, like, of, uh, of some other places as well, including Toronto and, and Winnipeg being two of the, the other longer stints. Um, do you still pay attention to the Jets and, and what they're currently doing? Or, like, what is your uh, – how do you uh, absorb hockey nowadays, or do you? Um, I, I do, uh, and I, I always 
this has been the same my whole life since I was a young kid. Uh, I only liked players. You know, I wasn't really that interested in teams, and you know, I only cared about who my favorite player was and how they played the game. And uh, you know, that's what I watch anyways when I'm watching a game. Is if I have somebody I like playing, uh, like a Dotsuk or. you know, who, who Bufflin, I would, you know, he's fun to watch. You know, you, you pick your couple guys you like playing and it didn't matter for me what team they're on. So, um, but you know, watching the Jets this year or last year, I really thought they had a chance to win. So I was really rooting for, for those guys to, to come pull it out last year. And, and do you, do you still uh, communicate with some of your former teammates either in Winnipeg or other places? Do you like, have you befriended some guys? I know I remember you saying before that you, you do still play hockey in sort of a, a veteran league in, uh, in Vancouver there. I'm just curious, some of your past teammates, who, who would you still keep in contact with? Um, I think, you, I think once people retire, you start talking more. I think and the active guys are so active. Uh, it's just a different lifestyle. Yeah. Um, once you've, become an alumni for uh, three to five years you really settle into a different pace of life and you're sort of open more to communicating with everybody right <laughs> so um, you know I talked to I guess from the Jets is Al Montoya I talked to him sometimes uh, Alex Burroughs I message sometimes you know guys you just message now and again and find out what they're up to and or congratulate them on something and uh, you know I, I when I first retired uh uh, you know, the Jets would come to Vancouver and I'd try to see Buffalo and some other guys, but uh, mostly, you know, you wait till guys retire and, and then if they happen to be in your alumni city, then you hang out again. Right. Yeah, I guess when, when you, you probably see a lot of guys when they come through town, just like you say, if you're in Vancouver, you're in an NHL city, right? You got guys mm-hmm. coming through so you can connect. So now you're, you're one full season that you had with the, the Jets here. I'm curious. Do you remember your stats? Because that was a career career year for you. And uh, I, I'm going to uh, – I have it in front of me here, but I, I want to see if you remember, and I want you to tell me if uh, you can remember some of the players you might have been ahead of with some, some of the stats. So do you remember your stat line for for your, your one full season in Winnipeg by chance? Yep, I do, I think. Um, I have 18 goals, 47 points. That's correct. So it must have been uh, 29 assists. That's correct. Yeah, you had 77 games that season. So um, now, uh, did you know? Well, maybe I'll just do. Did you know? <laughs> uh, but did you know that you actually had more goals that season than the current Winnipeg Jets captain Blake Wheeler? He had he had 17 goals. You out you yeah. outscored Blake Wheeler. <laughs> Well, Blake was still a passer then. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. true. And then also you you had uh, one more point than Brian Little that year too, who's still with the Jets. So yeah. I think those are some fun comparables, just because they're they're still with the team. And uh, you know, some people once players get removed uh, from the game, such as yourself, uh, people maybe have a short memory to remember uh, who was as good as they were or or whatnot. But uh, for those of us who who definitely liked your game. In fact, Chris, who was supposed to interview, has a his uh, Wellwood uh, jersey hanging up on the wall. <laughs> so, oh, great. Yeah, yeah, he's great. the he's a big fan. So, um, I do have some uh, some fan questions here, and uh, the first one I'm going to ask, I think, is uh, one of the best ones. Uh, Ace Burpee, who is you you, I'm sure you remember him and and know that he was a big fan of yours. Um, he wants to know. Is I love you so much, Kyle? A question. That was the question that he uh, he submitted. So is I love you, Kyle? Is that a question? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, it is. It is a. It is a question. Yeah. Um. You, you know what? The funny thing is, is um, we're actually expecting our second child. Oh, cool. And it's uh, gonna be a boy, and the boy's name we only call him Ace. So he hasn't been born yet, but we're ninety-five percent sure that uh, we're gonna call him Ace. So. Wow. Uh, it's a cool shout out to Ace then. D- does Ace know this yet or no? <laughs> No, he wouldn't know. No, no he wouldn't know. <laughs> no, he will not. Not no. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Well, yeah. He was a he was a guest on the podcast a while ago too, and your name came up just uh, that he appreciated you as a player. So uh, when we said that we were interviewing you, he definitely wanted to get that one question. And being a being the big fan oh. that he was, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, some other people like uh, you, you're not overly active uh, on social media, but uh, are you familiar with the hashtag? Somebody asked uh, Team Welly. As in, that's a sort of uh, when your name comes up in in circles, people usually put a hashtag Team Welly. Have you ever seen that? And what do you think of uh, you know the the support support that you have? Because you know some players, like you you mentioned Datsuk, uh, you know I mentioned uh, Wheeler. These players they kind of rise through and they have huge notoriety. But for yourself, who played you know a nice long career, you had a, a great career. People don't always remember. So is it nice to kind of have that that fandom? And are you familiar with it? Do you get a lot of response to to uh, and some appreciation? Yeah, that that sounds pretty cool. I, I didn't know about Team Welly. I don't do the hashtags. Okay. And I never understood what they mean. So um, I'll have to look it up for sure. <laughs> well, because I, I don't really, I've never seen the hashtag. It's it's a the way the hashtags work is basically if you ha- put a hashtag in, it becomes part of a bigger conversation. So if somebody, yeah. if you search that hashtag, all the conversations that. Uh, anyone's ever put that in come up so you'll you 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 might be glowing after you type in team welly and see okay. the nice things people say about you if you want to okay. because there, there might be maybe there's some some not nice things but usually team yeah. welly is, is, is pro kyle yeah. one, so yeah yeah, yeah. yeah my pro pro kyle one okay yeah maybe yeah. i'll use it on my own tweets then yeah there you go <laughs> well so yeah yeah um there is uh one guy that asked and i don't know what this is about but he said Ask him about coaching the Irish Hurley guy on how to play hockey. There was a whole documentary that was fascinating. It was cool to see an ex-jet involved. So uh, Hurley, maybe you could describe for people what Hurley is, and uh, maybe you can talk to this documentary. I didn't know this existed until this person asked this question. So do you remember this? Yeah, yeah, I do. There was, so there was a Hurley, Hurley player, an Irish Hurley player, that came over to Vancouver and um, sort of had the Vancouver Canucks experience where he went in the locker room and he came and played in the, the Super Skills uh, alumni game, sort of uh, with it, with the alumni and against. And before that, uh, we went up the – there's this mountain here with an ice rink on top. So we went up to the uh, mountain and I sort of, sort of showed him how to stick handle and shoot uh, before the game, the day before the game, so we'd have – you know, a better idea how to skate and shoot and what what would be going on. Uh, but Alex Alb actually got to go to Ireland and do the Hurley part. So uh-huh. uh, he went to Ireland and, and learned how to do Hurley. Right. Uh, and he's, he's an alumni goalie. And um, uh, I taught hockey. So, But he, he, was, he was very strong. And he, his skating wasn't great but he could skate in a straight line and his shot was actually better than mine really so <laughs> it's these one piece sticks if you're strong uh you, you put your uh, your, your weight in it 
he wasn't accurate, but he could really shoot it. Right. You know, he was he was he was shooting. You know his his wristers were you know 85 miles an hour probably. So you know he oh, was really yeah. really hucking it. Now Hurley, that's the sport where they have those uh, mallets. They run around the big fields and they slash each other with them. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's the right yeah, sport. Some sort of Irish field sport. Yeah, where it's gigantic fields and yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's one of like the most brutal sports for uh, just contact <laughs> and hitting each other. So uh, good thing you didn't, yeah, because then you might uh, know a little bit more about concussions had you uh, actually gone there to play the sport, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Okay, uh, I got a question here from former uh, Winnipeg Jet and uh, NHLer Scott Campbell. He wanted to know, and there's actually a couple people that asked uh, this question, so I'll I'll let you elaborate on it. But people wanted to know about, uh, I guess specifically in Winnipeg, which was your favorite line mates to play with? Uh, Like who you felt you had some good uh, chemistry, you know, favorite line to be on. And Scott, his specifically was, yeah, favorite line mates to play with. And whether you thought... This might be the more controversial kind of thing. I know it's kind of been just fun sharing. But uh, if, if you thought that uh, Coach uh, Claude Noel at the time maximized the roster and, and the talent sort of uh, to, to get the most chemistry and most out of everybody there. But, yeah, so to the line mates, who you like playing with, who you had chemistry with, and uh, maybe maybe some that you would have liked to play with a little bit more. Um, well, well, I think my best line, five on five, was definitely uh, Anderpoff and Ladd. We um, could all uh, had very good puck skills, and we all defended well, and our passing was very good. So, and we could switch. Uh, me and Antipop could both play center, and he had such a long wingspan and reach that it just defensively it worked really well. But I think for 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 it, it looked really slow. So I think that messes up the coaches who want to have a fast game, right? Yeah. So um, we we would cons- consistently beat most lines five on five, right? Um, with those with that combination, but we never got out there together, um, which was odd. But yeah, we didn't get that that chance because I know he lad always played with little Mueller. Um, but it's that was sort of the best sequence that we didn't get. But I, I played with a lot of with Evander, and Evander um, was such a great uh physical player who could shoot and would take a lot of shots and you know having that type of offensive talent on in a five-on-five scenario where somebody can play one-on-one makes it really easy for uh, someone like me that you know doesn't have the physical power to get through guys so i think with with the bander was 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 the best scoring wise and and sort of certainly would have looked the best to a coach or somebody watching um you know hence i think we were plus 10 and evander had 30 goals or something right right so uh and he had a million five on five shots right. uh, i think he was close to ovechkin that year in in sort of five on five chances so uh right. you know it, it, it depends what the coach sort of looks at the overall game and how it affects a team and you know playing a slower game sometimes doesn't match up with uh you know a high-flying jets team with wheeler now and how they play right yeah so it's 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 sort of like uh having two different styles on the same team where they would they would really play against each other and it would be a close game but when they're on the same team they sort of are disjointed 
So it's it's a tough it's a tough thing to do uh, as a coach to join sort of a semi expansion team like that. So yeah, it, yeah, yeah. I think uh, you you mentioned Antropov there. Um, you you also played with him in Toronto. Do you think maybe some of that uh, chemistry you had was built from before? Is that uh, maybe what was going on? You're both similar times in your career. You'd had some years before. Uh, was there something there that kind of built to why you guys would play well together? I mean. You, you personally, you know, were sort of the first Corsi darling in Winnipeg. And it's not surprising that you mentioned that, that line, that that would be a good line. And you guys would kind of crush, crush other people just with, uh, not crush, but you know, you know what I'm saying? Just, uh, play well against those other, other lines. I'm curious, uh, like your relationship with Antropov and, uh, kind of reuniting with him. Well, yeah, well, Antropov um, is, is, has excellent skills. He's really underrated for yep. his five-on-five five play. For you know, sure. He's six foot five. He can play wing or center. Um, he can block people out from the front of the net. He plays the corners really well. He's tough on the puck. Um, you know, uh, it, it always comes down to that ceiling of scoring that um, – becomes uh, an issue for coaches and, and, and so forth. So um, at the NHL level, you know, you've got to get uh, some guys getting a lot of goals. So, um, yeah, it's hard, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I think offensively playing with the superstars, it takes a little bit of time to realize what gets goals. But def- defensively, um, you either have chemistry right away and no. Um, I think when I was on San Jose, um, we got scored on, when I was there, I got scored on five times the whole year. So it must have been, I don't know if it was 35 games or so, but um, we had such a good defensive chemistry, and we took all the defensive zone draws, but we only got scored on five times. And that's in something like over a 1,000 minutes of five-on-five play. So wow. it would be like a goalie having a 0.4 goals against average, right? Um, but it just doesn't – you can't tell what's good defense or not um, from the stands yeah. for some reason. I don't know why. It's easy to see offense and bad to see defense, but most people can't see what what good defense looks like. And Anderpoff was very good defensively. Or do you enjoy, because you sound like you have a pretty good mind for this, I think most people know you to be a bit more cerebral player. Do you enjoy the analytics and the fancy stats? Do you measure a little bit more than maybe what you were used to or people from, from your era, um, what they would have had access to? Yeah, I, I think it has some importance. Um, but I think, like the, like the, what I alluded to earlier, is that um, it can be a... Um, it's easy to misread because you may have competing elements on the team where uh, you may have one line that um, does better course, you better five on five, but they're slowing the pace of the game down. They're controlling the puck. They're not uh, extending the space between players on the ice. And when you have players that need a lot of space, um, uh, like, I would say Wheeler is an example. The more free ice out there, the more Anna McDavid, those guys that really need that space to to move around. Um, You need to have the team sort of support that and also be creating more open ice by with their speed and skating. So you don't want to have competing interests and you want to have one team structured a certain way. And I think that's what the Jets have now is that they have a good 
good uh, uh, open ice structured game that they can keep building on to try to win. Right, and every, and you can kind of move people around, and everyone's playing kind of the same system throughout. Like you said, you don't want to have a slower line, a faster line, right? So yeah, that definitely right. works, works to a coach's yeah, so, advantage. So, yeah. right? so that's that's the difference where it's like, uh, okay, I may have great cores, I may not be getting scored on, I may have good plus minus, but I may be not fitting the theme of the team that needs their superstars to win the games for you and take you in the playoffs, but they, they don't perform in the same system where in San Jose we had maybe Joe Thornton, who's sort of a more, he's not slow, but he plays a more laborious, slow puck possession game. And that sort of suits my theme of playing. And it, 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 it becomes much harder to play right. against when everybody's doing the same thing. Right. Uh, would you ever consider coaching? Because you, you do seem to enjoy sort of that part of the game, like the, the thinking of, of the game, not just playing the game? Um, my brother actually is, is a coach, so he takes that on for the family. I'm done with hockey. <laughs> I think, uh, uh, you know, it, it's very, in hockey, it's very difficult to, as any fan would know, to become a decision maker in hockey. So what you would have to go through to become a head coach or a GM and end up getting to make decisions on a team, um, the sacrifices, the moving around, uh, you know, the time and energy spent, I just don't like hockey that much to <laughs> do it. <laughs> so the simple answer is there's a 0% chance I have too many other interests to care unless somebody was going to hand me uh position where I got to make decisions <laughs> right which doesn't which doesn't happen in right. life yeah well I, I can think of one I'll, I'll make a call out your way I'll see if I get you involved with no I was kidding um <laughs> so uh w what are some of those other interests and sort of just to the hockey thing oh, that's two totally unrelated questions but some of your other interests what you're involved with now but uh would you uh w or do you already I'm not sure how old your current child is but uh um let your kids play hockey yeah, I try to get him out skating. Uh, he, he's in grade two, okay. and he's not active in hockey yet. Um, he's, he's always open to play. He, he's hit and miss. Sometimes he wants to play, sometimes he doesn't. But um, you know, it's hard to say. If he, if, of course, if, if whatever your child wants to do, you, you're going to help him out. So right. um, if his interest is reading or Legos or chess or baseball you know it doesn't really matter to me and same with hockey it will, whatever he wants to do i'll support him so right yeah and then for yourself your interest now are you uh you at the playing badminton every day or how are you staying active <laughs> well that... i've got uh two puppies to take care of i've got you know, son in grade two another baby on the way my wife uh is a therapeutic counselor and she's uh got her own practice called spirit lift so she uh works with that and i help her on the back end with that and then uh i'm do business development for head check right uh so that keeps me busy too so yeah I've, uh, and i got the canuck alumni who you know at least a couple times a month we do events around bc uh trying to raise money for different causes so uh, yeah i've been staying busy
Yeah. Well, that's good. I've, you got to find something to fill your time with. Sounds like uh, you're having fun with your young family there. Um, I'm going to go back to a hockey question here. This one's back to some more fan questions. Somebody asked, which goalie did you get your six points in one game against in 2002-2003? Do, do you remember this? I, and by the way, I do not 2002-2003, that must be... That must be like in the minors. Am I that old that I played in two thousand two, two thousand three? I don't know. <laughs> that's yeah. That's 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 what is it? That's sixteen years ago or something. Yeah. yeah so uh, that I think that's in the minors against must have been against Cleveland. Uh, I don't know. Does yeah. he know? <laughs> no, he didn't give the answer. And you know what? I I just figured you'd know, so I didn't look it up. <laughs> yeah. It, it definitely wasn't six points in an NHL game. Oh, I don't know. We'll see. So, you know, uh, everyone who's listening can do their own fact-checking. Find out, find out what the answer is. And uh, Jets, Winnipeg 69 can uh, maybe tweet us the answer later, and we'll we'll send it yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. Well, apparently, apparently did. So uh, congratulations on your six points in one game, by the way, uh, that, yeah, 60 that, years ago. Yeah. yeah, must have had a concussion and, and forgot about it. <laughs> Yeah, that that might be it. All right. <laughs> okay, well, uh, I don't want to keep you too much longer. I totally appreciate you taking the time. But uh, uh, there's two more here. Um, they're both back to uh, your time in Winnipeg. Somebody asked, what was your favorite Coach Noel quote? I mean, he had a bunch. He was pretty interesting to listen to. Did you ever, you know, listen to the, the, the press conferences afterwards? And did he say some, some zingers that uh, maybe stuck with you? Oh, my goodness. I, I totally forgot about that. Um you know what? We we did have him on sometimes in the locker room in the the snack area. We had a TV, and the volume was always off. But once when Claude came on to the podium, <laughs> we would we would turn it up, right? Uh, just to hear what he had to say because it was sometimes so comical. Uh, I I don't I don't recall any of any of the things he said though. Yeah. But I do recall laughing with the other guys. Uh, and, and wanting to hear what he had to say. <laughs> yeah, he definitely gave some good interviews. I, I don't actually remember any of the things he says. You just remember the feeling of it being entertaining, yeah. right? So yeah, not exactly. the specifics. And then uh, yeah. uh, my buddy Brian, he wanted to know what the locker room was like in those early early years with the Jets. Um, he said, you know, like as fans, stuff sort of leaks out. People know people and then they say stuff. Was it a good locker room? Was it pretty enjoyable or was it uh, a disaster? Was it, you know, we heard so much from some of the media about Atlanta culture, people coming and guys were lazy there and it was like a country club. Like there's so much uh, conjecture over what it was actually like. What was your experience like in the in, in the locker room? In I th- yeah, I think the locker room is pretty good. I think um, obviously we had a lot of Atlanta guys uh um, and I hadn't played there, but uh, yeah, I think it was good. The, the, like I said at the start of the podcast, um, it's very difficult to come to Canada and be on a team that doesn't make playoffs. And it's you know, guys may get down on each other um, if if it's heading in that direction. But I that definitely wasn't the case in the locker room. The first year, they you know, I know the guys in Atlanta were sick of losing yeah. um and you could you could feel that as the as the losses came forward and you know um but i had come i'd made at least to the second round three years in a row and then came to the jets where you know we weren't likely to make playoffs and 
you know, there's some systematic issues that take a while to resolve on teams to find how you should be playing. And, you know, with the leaders like Wheeler, who, you know, really push the pace of the game, um, and maybe they hadn't got to make playoffs and stuff, uh, you've really got to build your team around some of these guys. So, um, you know, it can be frustrating for them, but I thought the locker room was really good. I thought everybody tried hard every game. I think we might have got ninth or tenth place in the right. conference, and the guys were motivated throughout the whole year. So, yeah. uh, you know, I think Claude did a good job that year um, with with all the guys, and he ended up, uh, you know, helping some of the core there with Little and, and Wheeler and some of the guys uh, sort of develop, right? Right. Yeah, I think actually the uh... – if I'm not mistaken, in December of that year, season started October, right? In December, I think you guys went like 12-4-2 or 12-2-4, and four, something like that. Really good record. I don't know if you remember that, but that homestand was uh, – we all thought we were playoff bound for sure <laughs> and at that time. so. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, you know, I think we certainly – I think it was – the conference was also very good at the time too. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's just not that easy to get in. Yeah, yeah for sure. Well – Mr. Wellwood, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. This is a lot of fun. I know a lot of people got their questions asked, so I'm sure they'll enjoy that too. So uh, best of luck to you and all your future endeavors, and thanks for taking the time. Awesome. Thanks for having me. No problem. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay.